You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Jason Fitz, Courtney Cronin. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect the stuff you love with renter's insurance. Visit Progressive.com. That's right. That's the big news. Donovan Mitchell is now a Cleveland Cavalier. And to get the latest on it, we are joined by ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski. There's a Woj pod, Woj pod up right now that will give you some of the breakdown on how this all went down. Be sure to check it out. Woj, always appreciate your time. How did Cleveland manage to get this done? Uh, Fitz, Courtney, uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, you know, Cleveland lingered in this and they had been in discussions last week and, and kind of backed off on Friday when they just couldn't get a deal done with Utah on Donovan Mitchell. They didn't want to keep their players in trade talks. They, and I think they kind of felt probably the deal would be in New York. And when New York and Utah did not get a deal done by that Monday night deadline that New York had put on Utah, that they were going to, that they were going to sign uh R.J. Barrett to that contract extension, which then sort of just changed the dynamics of what the trade talks would be just based on salary cap gymnastics. The trade would have to be in a different form, and they didn't want to keep – New York didn't want to keep Barrett in limbo any longer. And so when that deal didn't get done Monday night, Cleveland, their, their president, Kobe Altman, called Justin Zanuck back, who's the GM in Utah, on Tuesday morning. And then very quietly for the next 48 hours, got this trade done. They had to get a sign-in trade with Colin Sexton, uh, which was not difficult. Uh, he had been in a stalemate with Cleveland on what that contract would look like. He gets $72 million. And they had a deal done today. And Utah did it without ever going back to New York and giving them another shot at it. They, were, they had moved on and, and were ready to do the deal with Cleveland. Throughout this entire process, Woj, we had heard so much about the fact that the New York Knicks were in a better position than any other team because they own all of their first-rounders, plus they have those four future first-round picks from other teams. Um, and obviously the, the protection levels vary. But I- I'm wondering from what you know, was the Cavs deal better than anything the Knicks could have offered, given there's still, still some uncertainty about what that offer actually was from New York? No, no, it was not better. And that's why over the weekend, you know, Utah was not ready to move. The Cleveland deal that they did today was basically, I don't think it was much different than what, at all. It was what they could offer, right? They could give you three first-round picks unprotected, two pick swaps, and you kind of knew the players that were going to be it. They were agreed on that. I think they thought they could get, I thought they were close on Sunday night, Monday. I thought they had closed the gap New York and Utah had, that they could get a deal done. And, you know, as I reported in the story that's up on ESPN.com, it essentially came down to New York not wanting to part with uh, Quentin Grimes with R.J. Barrett um, unless uh, Utah wanted three unprotected picks if Grimes was uh, going to be – or excuse me, uh, two unprotected picks and a third, like top four, top five protected pick in another year if Grimes was in it, if it was not Grimes and it was going to be Emmanuel quickly, they wanted three unprotected picks. New York essentially said, I'm told, uh, we don't want to do Grimes, but, but we'll do, we'll do quickly, but we want two unprotected picks, one protected. So it wasn't a very big gulf at the end, but New York didn't do the deal. And 
I think they thought they would be able to come back and restart these talks maybe after the holiday weekend. And again, Kobe Altman in Cleveland picks up the phone on Tuesday morning. He was at the U.S. Open tennis watching Serena Monday night. I think he saw our reporting on Monday night, Tuesday morning. He called Utah and said, hey, can we start this again? And they did, and they got the deal done. And so, you know, for New York, listen, they certainly believe in R.J. Barrett, but they were willing to put him in a deal um, for Donovan Mitchell. That would have certainly brought them, you know, a player who would have been obviously their best player, 25-year-old all-star who's from New York and who wanted to be in New York and who you would have hoped if you were the Knicks could have then been uh, someone who could draw other players, his relationships around the league. And, you know, sometimes you need that first star to come in to start to get others to come. Not everybody wants to be the first one in. And while Jalen Brunson was a great addition this summer, um, you know, he may never be an all-star, but he's a good NBA point guard. Mitchell was different. And instead he's on his way to Cleveland and a loaded now, Cleveland Cavaliers team that is going to be able to compete with anybody. We're talking to Adrian Wojnarowski on Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, and Jason Fitz. And we've spent a lot of time this summer talking about what Donovan Mitchell wants. Do you have any sense at this point of how he feels about going to Cleveland? Yeah, I think he's excited. Yeah, I think he's excited about the team. That's been my sense tonight. Looking, you know, he's got relationships there. You know, you saw some expression on Twitter. Listen, New York was special for him. It was home. And I think – uh, if he was going to be traded, that made sense. But my sense tonight is that he's he looks at this Cleveland roster and sees a lot of talent and a team that's really ready to do some some significant winning over a long period of time. I mean, you look at Darius Garland and Jared Allen are both All-Stars last year for the first time. And Evan Mobley is going to be not just an All-Star, but probably an All-NBA player. He probably is going to be the best of that group they had. And, you know, Karis LeVert is there. Ricky Rubio is coming off the knee injury. He played with Ricky Rubio in Utah. And that's a guy people love to play with. They love, like, he's got great relationships with his teammates. I think Rubio being there is going to be great for him. Uh, But, yeah, I think Donovan Mitchell, once the New York thing didn't happen and it became Cleveland, is excited about, you know, looking at what that team can be. And, And obviously you're back in the East. You're closer to home to his New York, Connecticut home. And, and um, again, this is a coup for the Cavaliers. And, and Utah, you know, they're starting to stack up a group of draft picks that's going to start to rival what Oklahoma City had, young players. And, you know, they're well into the rebuild. They've got more players they're going to offload there. You know, they've got 13 first-round picks now, most of them unprotected, um, as they move forward. And, and they probably have a roster that can get them another couple of those as they trade off the rest of their you know, veteran players. Yeah. Well, what is uh, Utah's long-term vision now in all of this? I was just going through the haul that they got with those, you know, trading Gobert and with Mitchell now 13 first round picks through 2029. And we know that that's probably going to go up in the coming months um, when they maybe move on from Conley Clarkson, Bogdanovich, uh, all of those things said like where, what is the long-term vision for Danny Ainge's group? Yeah, it's, it's Courtney, it's a full rebuild and it's, you know, try to gather some young players. Remember, they they picked up Taylor Horton Tucker from the Lakers, still 21 years old. They like him. Uh, you know, Minnesota was a little more of a pick-heavy trade, um, but they get uh, uh, Kessler, the rookie seven-footer from Auburn, who was their number one pick in Minnesota, who came and really made it a five-first-round pick deal. 
And yeah, I think they felt they had gone as far as they could go with Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And they're going to start over first year coach and Will Hardy, who, um, you know, is very well regarded. And I think people believe Will Hardy is going to be a really good head coach for them. And he'll get to sort of start from scratch. And they have an ownership group that is going to be patient with this, who believe this was the right path to go. And, you know, I think for Utah, like this is, um, you know, it's a very clear path now. And they, you know, in trading their two all-star players, you know, they've gotten a pretty good return. Again, a lot of picks and, and more to come. And that's sort of the reality of the league. If you're not competing, if you're not contending, you need to be in a rebuild. You know, that, that middle place is the worst. And I think they started to fear they were ending up in that that middle. We can't get out of the first round of the playoffs place. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Woj ESPN. You know that. Woj, man, I know you're slammed tonight. This has been a crazy day. We genuinely appreciate you taking the time to come on, my friend. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great holiday weekend. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN NBA insider. Again, if you didn't, if you missed any of that, it'll be up in the podcast. Some significant answers from Woj. He's also got the Woj pod up there that'll give you more of the breakdown of how this all went down. But uh, some significant answers there from him. Uh, make sure you check it all out. In the meantime, the Williams sisters are in action, and we've got a massive rivalry in college football living up to all of the hype right now. We'll get you updated on it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin, Jason Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. One of the wildest things about the year is sometimes you feel like football's forever away, and then you just look up, and suddenly there's Thursday night college football with meaningful results. It just sort of happens. Courtney's going to be feeling this in a couple of days when you just look up and realize the regular season is here, and everything changes in life. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz, Courtney Cronin hanging out with you. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and uh, we'll get to an update on this college football game. There's some significance happening right now in a rivalry matchup, but we also have tennis going on right now, and Courtney, the Williams sisters are in a battle. Uh, it's uh, They're tied uh, five up uh, in the first set, and so currently with the serve, as they are playing in some doubles action, which only makes me think back to the fact that we saw Serena yesterday do what felt to many like the impossible, to go out and beat not only the number two seed, but somebody that's substantially younger, obviously, and then to turn right back around a day later and play again. I I, I don't know how to put into context or perspective what we're seeing. All I know is every time I look up, it just feels special right now. Yeah, and it's such a cool thing to to see after, you know, this whole week, this whole month is going to be about Serena Williams and what we expect is probably, as she intimated in that Vogue article, her last U.S. Open that she's going to play and that she's headed towards retirement. So, of course, you know, there were people thinking at 40 years old that she was not going to be able to out-athlete the 26-year-old she was playing in her opening match on Monday night, but it's really remarkable to see that when she wants to turn it on, even after bowing out of the first round in Cincinnati and then Toronto in the warm-up matches, that she still is the greatest of all time in going out like the greatest of all time should. So, I mean, it's exciting. Uh, the U.S. Open was going to draw anyways because Serena's playing in it, whether she was out after the first round or not. And I just think it's really good for all of us to get to, like, see her last, you know, see her swan song and seeing her do it, like, at such a high level. Well, and it raised questions today from someone, you know, whether or not she's going to be done, whether or not she walks away. And I don't think any of us will know that answer for a little while, but there's certainly a part, I think, what happens for many of us when we're watching is that while you're watching, you're just thinking about what we want as viewers. And, like, that's just 
sort of the reality sometimes. It's like as a viewer and as a fan, you, you sit there and think, God, it'd be so incredible to get to see more of what we're seeing right now. But that's always a fine line, Courtney, because sometimes you also look at it and you say, man, I just uh, I, I think this is the perfect way, the chef's kiss way for everything mm-hmm. to sort of come to an end. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that everything, you try to like surmise her career in a couple moments and you hope that the U.S. Open is one of those that rises right to the top as we're watching it in real time. And just to see how she can still overpower opponents in this and where it's not, you know, in a lot of ways, like I've heard this on radio all week and people trying to compare the greats and putting Serena in the class with the Tom Brady's with the Muhammad Ali's with Tiger Woods. Like, let's not do that. Let's just like appreciate her for being Serena Williams and all that she's brought to the game of tennis. Um, I think it's so incredible to see that in real time. Again, this might, this is probably the last time that we're going to get to see this as everything she's intimated to this point it's exciting to watch because you know that you're watching greatness on its way out. Yeah, to your point, Courtney, I would love to see a world where we started talking about everything the way we talk about liquor. Like when I walk into a bar and I order vodka, like I, I you know, some people like Top Shelf, some people like, you know, just a little above that, like something in the range of. I wish we could just finally accept that a bunch of these athletes belong on the Top Shelf and it doesn't really matter which one's comparable to which. It's just like they're all sort of living in the – the echelon of greatness. Ah, that's oversimplification by me. Uh, not oversimplifying college football, though, right now, is we have uh, Pitt, number 17 in the country, driving right now. They're in a second and goal situation with about four minutes to go in the first half, but they trail West Virginia 7-3. to three. And it's always interesting to me, Courtney, because, you know, I like to dabble in a little gambling, but I, I'll be honest, I'm so nervous about week one games because unlike the NFL, there is no preseason in college football, right? So your first opportunity to see these teams, other than just what we've seen on paper, is live on a field and an outcome that counts. And sometimes that makes this just maddeningly unpredictable. When you have a rivalry matchup in the beginning of a season like this, it's it's great for college football for the fans. But as somebody that, again, likes to dabble in it, I look at it and say, I'm not stunned to see a close and weird game so far because we haven't seen anything from anybody. No, and I mean, that's the exciting part about these rivalry games happening earlier in the season, as in week one, versus like when you know what the team's identities are come like Thanksgiving. And, you know, I know that uh, what there's some big ones on tonight. I know, or excuse, rather, to, oh, West Virginia and Pittsburgh's going on right now. You know, the Friday matchups, Western Michigan, Michigan State, I don't know if you call that a rivalry, but I kind of like the in-state nature of a lot of these, um, you know, kicking off the college football season. And it's exciting to see because Notre Dame, Ohio State is the big one on Saturday that everybody's going to be watching. And I'm glad that we have some marquee matchups kind of to get us primed and ready for that, where it's not like, you know, the the powerhouses versus the FCS schools that they're going to beat by 50 points. Yeah, although I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Ohio State just uh, – no. I know, we were it's, talking uh, about this today in the, in the media room in Chicago. A lot of uh, Ohio State and Notre Dame people uh, in there. And I, I guess the general consensus is that Ohio State's going to hang at least like 40 on Notre Dame. And I'm – I don't know if I want to see that. I want to see a close game. Yeah, I want to see. Well, people in hell on ice water are like, I want to see a close game. I just don't think uh, I'm going to be lucky enough for that. And But, you know, this is where it, that game's on ABC. So we hope it's spectacular, and you all should watch it at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, one thing that does stand out to me that is a new similarity in college football to the NFL even 
is player movement because we got used to being able to predict teams year to year because so many players had to stay where they were. The transfer rules at the time meant you had to sit out a year. Now, with immediacy being more of an opportunity, what you have, even in this Pitt-West Virginia game that right now uh, is 7-3, to three, e- even in that process, you have two quarterbacks in JT Daniels who is, uh, you know, he's sitting here in a situation where his career looked like it was uh, basically over in Georgia, and now he turns around and already has a touchdown pass in this game for West Virginia. And Keaton Slovis, whose career looked like it might be over, and by the way, has the best hair you ever want to see on a quarterback. <laughs> it's unfair. Looked like he was done at USC. Now he goes to Pittsburgh, has a chance to, to sort of reinvent his career. I think it's really cool, and it's great for these kids to have a second chance opportunity, but it makes figuring out these rosters even tougher just in general from an analysis standpoint because you've got great players, good players. You've got transferring players. Like, everything's changing constantly. Yeah, I mean, the transfer portal is (laughs) – you know, for, for whenever the next NCAA football game comes out, I think it's going to be really interesting to see those rosters get updated in real time because of how much movement there is every single year within the transfer portal. And it's wild when you see somebody was at one school one year and then the next year they're starting somewhere else because of the immediate eligibility and all of the things that had been done away with from the previous rules and, and kind of to the, to the benefit of the transfer portal where – you're starting to see the free agency process of college football affect the makeup of these teams in ways that can actually affect games earlier in the season than maybe we had seen previously. Yeah, if you weren't already my bestie, the fact that you took this to the NCAA football game really makes like that's the one thing I've told my agent like 300 times. I don't care what else happens in my life, just get me in that damn game. Like that's all I want. I just want to be it's a voice in that game. That, that, that's it. That's it. Like a voice, you know, maybe just a tweeter, but preferably a voice. Let's get me a little role here, and then you know, uh, I can say. I was in a video game for the rest of my life. That's the only goal that I really have. We'll keep you updated on all of the action going on. But in the meantime, how's Cleveland feeling about Donovan Mitchell? We'll go to somebody in Cleveland that knows incredibly well next, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I mean, I guess I expected at some point that Donovan Mitchell would be traded, right? Most of us thought that was going to happen. It's just we spent all summer talking about it. And it never really occurred to me that we'd actually be sitting here right now talking about Donovan Mitchell, the Cleveland Cavalier. But that's where we are. That is the breaking news. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Get a business insurance quote online in as little as six minutes. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. They're going for it. Courtney Cronin, Jason Fitz in on Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. And now we're going to get some insight from Cleveland. Like, uh, we've been talking, we talked to Woj earlier. If you missed it, it'll be in the podcast, I promise. But in the meantime, we got to get some insight on how all of this feels on the ground in Cleveland. Chris Fedor from Cleveland.com joining us now. Chris, really appreciate your time. Uh, What's the local reaction to Donovan Mitchell now being a Cav? I think anytime you have this kind of blockbuster surprising trade, it's a little bit mixed, but I think the majority of people believe that this is a good move for the Cavs around town. There are some that feel like the Cavs gave up too much, too much of their future, but I think the belief is that this is a good move for the Cavs, and now they are positioned to have a higher ceiling than they did before this trade. Chris, just... Catch us up to speed here, because I remember when Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz it looked it looked back in the end you know beginning of July that he was going to get traded. The Cavs were mm-hmm. not in the mix. It looked like it was New York to the Knicks or bust, and and obviously that didn't happen. When did Cleveland get into the sweepstakes, and how did they do that? 
Summer League, actually. The Cavs had conversations with the Jazz at Summer League, but those were just cursory conversations, and I was told at that point they felt like the price was going to be way too high for Donovan Mitchell, and they weren't going to be able to put together a package that was going to be one that Utah actually said yes to. Um, But as talks continued to progress between the Jazz and the Knicks and the Cavs, still hung around there and and Utah knew what the Cavs were willing to give up and the Cavs knew what Utah was looking for. Um, they re-engaged the Jazz a couple of weeks ago, actually, and they felt like there was a path to actually getting a deal done. Um, at the end of last week, the Cavs pulled out once again because they felt like, hey, the price is too high. We don't have a lot of clarity on where we're going to go when it comes to Colin Sexton. We don't have a lot of clarity from you guys on what you're going to do with the New York Knicks. And then a couple of days ago, the Cavs jumped back in there. They re-engaged the Utah Jazz. And and part of this is president of basketball operations, Kobe Altman, and general manager for the Utah Jazz, Justin Zanuck. They're very close. The two teams have um, consummated a couple of deals already in the past. And those two just talk outside of basketball a lot. So, it felt like there was a path to getting a deal done a couple of days ago. And for the Cavs to be able to make this trade, acquire Donovan Mitchell, that caliber player, without trading away Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, that is a huge deal for the Cavs because if any of those guys would have been talked about, that would have been a deal breaker. Cleveland would not have had any interest in that whatsoever. We're talking to Cleveland.com writer Chris Fedor on Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, Jason Fitz. Uh, so, Chris, what are the expectations now for this roster as it sits in the East? I think they're raised, obviously. The question is, like, just how high are they on the tier of teams in the Eastern Conference? And I think that's a fair question. But if we would have been having a conversation about the Cavs guys uh, last week and, and saying, okay, where did they stand in the Eastern Conference? I probably could have made the argument. The best argument that I could have made realistically is seven, eight, nine, somewhere there in the Eastern conference, a team that probably had to fight its way into the playoffs through the play in tournament. Now I think it's fair to have a conversation about the Cavs around the top four in the Eastern conference. I don't think they're on the same level with Milwaukee. I don't think they're on the same level with Boston the two teams that either won the NBA championship or got to the finals in the Eastern conference the last two years. But like, this is a conversation that we can have about the Cavs potentially avoiding the play in tournament. And this isn't a group that has made the the, the playoffs um, without LeBron James since 1998. Uh, They haven't won a playoff series without LeBron since 1993. Now both of those things are possible. And I think it's fair for the, the organization internally to have those kinds of expectations. It's not championship or bust. They're not at that kind of level, but if they don't make the playoffs, if they had to fight their way in through the play in tournament, or if they've lost in the play in tournament, like they did last year, I think it's fair to say that that would be a disappointment after everything they gave up to get Donovan Mitchell. So where does this backcourt of Mitchell and Garland rank among those in the East? Because we know that a lot of teams, I mean, I always forget that Atlanta's in that mix too, that they just upgraded their backcourt this offseason. I feel like everybody is following this trend. Where do those two rank? So I think that's the only one that I can think of, Courtney, in the Eastern Conference that has an argument that is better than the Cavs on paper right now. Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, very, very formidable 
but because Trey has done it at a higher level than Darius and he's done it for longer than Darius and he's led a team in a different kind of way than Darius, um, I would probably give the edge, a slight edge to Atlanta right now, but at least it's a conversation that if you're the Cavs, you can have that conversation. And it's not outlandish to think that they belong in that same um, category. Um, I think there are some things that, that Darius and Donovan are going to have to work out in terms of who's going to have the ball, late game situations, how effective is Darius going to be playing off the ball if they're going to put the ball more in the hands of Donovan Mitchell. How are the two going to um, handle the defensive end of the floor because they're both six foot one? Um, there are legitimate questions there. But Donovan's going to help Darius, and Darius is going to help Donovan. By the end of the season, Darius Garland was completely gassed, and teams were just throwing multiple defenders at Darius because the Cavs didn't have enough playmaking and they didn't have enough shot creation. And now when Darius Garland is off the court, now the Cavs can have somebody like Donovan Mitchell that can um, keep the offense together um, in a way that nobody could last year after the injury to Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio. You raise an interesting point, Chris, on some of the things that are going to have to be worked out. J.B. Bickerstaff and this this entire coaching staff, what adjustments are they going to make in your mind to having Donovan Mitchell on this roster? They're going to have to change the style that they play, right? I mean, I think they're going to have to because if you think about what led them to success last year, they went 44-38 and 38 last year. They got to the play-in tournament. They got bounced by Brooklyn and Atlanta. But it was still a successful season for them. Um, part of their success had to do with this unique tall ball lineup that was a throwback. They had three seven-footers that were in their starting lineup with Lowry Markinen, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. Not only were they seven-footers, but they were skilled seven-footers as well. You take away Markinen and you lose a bit of your identity, right? So now what are the Cavs going to do at small forward? That's a question that J.B. Bickerstaff is going to have to answer. And what are they going to do about this defensively limited backcourt of Darius and Donovan? I'm told that they're comfortable with it because they have defenders like Evan Mobley, Isaac Coro, Jared Allen surrounding Darius and Donovan. But how they played last year was a certain way because of the personnel that they had. They don't have that same personnel, so it's going to have to be a different kind of way to be effective. They were a top-five defense last year. I'm not sure they can be a top-five defense with their backcourt, but if they can be good enough defensively, top 10, top 15, and take a big rise offensively where they were 20th in offensive rating last year, I think that can balance itself out enough but they're not going to be the same kind of defensive team that they were last year. They can't be because they don't have that same personnel now. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Chris Fedor, F-E-D-O-R. Chris, appreciate your insight. Read him on cleveland.com. Thanks so much for giving us the uh, local flair on it. Really appreciate your brilliance. You got it. Anytime. Chris Fedor giving us the uh, insight on how they're going to have to adapt on the big news.
Donovan Mitchell is now a Cleveland Cavalier. By the way, you guys have been tweeting us. We got some news from Spain and Fitz Nation. Uh, Hype Man Harry uh, tweets out that we need to give the Big 12 some love. Uh, he's giving the Big 12 some love while he listens to the show. I get that. By the way, Big 12 love coming here. Oklahoma State, the number 12 team in the country, is absolutely walloping Central Michigan 44-15. to That should be a surprise uh, to nobody. In the meantime, there's a bunch of college football action going on. We will catch you up on it. We'll make sure you know what the Williams sisters are doing. And Russell Wilson is absolutely mammothly rich. Well, he already was, but he's even richer now. What's it mean for the rest of the AFC? We'll answer that. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin, Jason Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Courtney Cronin, and Jason Fitz hanging out with you. You guys can always get to us on the Dr. Pepper Nation uh, Twitter feed uh, at Courtney R. Cronin at Jason Fitz. Also, you can always call ESPN Radio, 888-ESPN-888-729-3776. Uh, obviously, we've got plenty of action going on tonight. Want to get you caught up on West Virginia, Pittsburgh, uh, and my voice apparently are all tied up. Uh, my voice has decided to go straight puberty. You're welcome, America. And we've got 10-10 in the West Virginia-Pittsburgh game. You can check that out on ESPN. It is at the half right now. Uh, JT Daniels, the quarterback for West Virginia, 14-20 for 106 yards in the first half. So uh, having a, a pretty good game there. Keaton Slova, 6-8 of eight for 84. So the two new quarterbacks we had our eyes on, uh, obviously playing well early on, 10-10 in a game that uh, we'll keep our eye on. And then, obviously, we've got doubles action tonight, uh, Serena and Venus in action. They lost the first set 7-6. They are down in the second set 3-0. I will keep you updated on that. ESPN Radio will throughout the course of the night as well. But, Courtney, the big news today, other than Donovan Mitchell being traded to Cleveland, is that Russell Wilson is just walking around with like if he if he did it in dollar bills he could probably lay out an entire yellow brick road to get from his house to the practice facility if he wanted to do the whole Scrooge McDuck thing and just lay in a bed of hundies he absolutely could he got that rich rich today with yet another contract a massive contract from the Broncos most importantly for Denver it's a it's an extension that will keep him under contract with the team for seven years. And so you start thinking about the amount of money, not just at Easy Minute, with the $245 million deal, $165 million guaranteed, but seven years, the Broncos and Russell Wilson are now fully married and going to spend the rest of their lives together. Yeah, I mean, he's 33 years old. You knew the day that they traded for him in March that this was going to happen at some point. He was going to get the long-term extension in a place that he believes has a roster that is built to contend. Um, you know, Previously, he signed that four-year $140 million extension 2019 that went through 2023, so he's already made quite a bit of money in his career. I think the big shock, or rather when we're looking at these numbers this morning when this news comes out, it's that of the 245, only 165 is is fully guaranteed, is, is guaranteed um, in a number of different guarantees in there that's going to keep Wilson in Denver for the next seven years. Russell Wilson is a more accomplished quarterback than Kyler Murray, than Deshaun Watson. And you just think, like looking at that on paper, and wondering why he didn't go in asking for the Deshaun Watson type deal. Does that it doesn't hurt the Denver Broncos because certainly he did them a favor in a way to get the more, the, up front, the money up front, but does it hurt the quarterback market? Because we're immediately shifting our attention, knowing that this one was going to happen. You know, 
at some point before week one to the one that is not done yet before week one, and that's Lamar Jackson, and wondering how this is going to affect what Baltimore might have cooking for its QB. I always think it's funny because fan bases do this with quarterbacks, immediately say, well, he should take a discount so that he can have, a, have the, the best build players. the pieces around him. Yeah, right. exactly. He I like the boys, too. It's, yeah, we all talk you. like that. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's like, well, he's got to take a discount because uh, he needs to win a championship. <laughs> Here's the only problem with that. Like, how many people listening right now, just in real life, how many of you would say, you know what? I'm going to tell you this. Uh, you can make all the money you want or – I'm going to ask you to take 40% less than the value you know that you have so that the company you work for can be more successful, be it Google, be it McDonald's, be it ESPN. You know what, guys? We're going to ask everybody in the room to just take less so that our situation around can be better. It doesn't make any sense to me. And the problem is some guys want to do that. It's not a problem. Let me say it this way. It's everybody's individual choice. If Derek Carr wants to take less money on his quarterback deal because he thinks it helps Devontae Adams get with him and that's how he wants to play, that's great. But does that mean that I should take that sort of assessment from Derek Carr and assign it to Lamar Jackson? Hell no. Like, if somebody in your office, whatever you do, making spreadsheets, uh, making widgets, if somebody says, you know what, I want the widget maker extraordinaire to make more money this year, so I'm going to take a cut and pay. That person may be at a spot in their life where that's easy for them to do. That doesn't mean that you personally have to take less than your fair market value. So I think it gets hard because so often we're looking at it saying, well, you know, if you want to be a great quarterback, you have to agree to take less money. No, absolutely not. No, I agree. And I feel like that's – you have to look at it on a case-by-case basis. and But also, like, what does this mean for the greater good at the position? And there are going to be people who say this hurts the quarterback market because Justin Her- Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow coming up on their deals, like, what do they make? You know what I mean? Like, that to me – like, you, you don't want this to – we know that, like, I, I say it to say, like, Deshaun Watson was an aberration, and we know that. And we knew that going in and seeing the deals that were signed that, you know, very few were going to be able to top the 230 that he was fully guaranteed because the NFL and the owners and the escrow rule and the whole thing that kind of, you know, comes together here prevents a lot of that stuff from happening, and it's not like they're trying to change it and give players fully guaranteed contracts. That's the anomaly versus the norm. But where Russell – where Russell is right now in his career and being okay taking less to let this team build more, I mean, you know, build around him more. I think what Jeff Legwald had said, uh, Denver Broncos writer for ESPN's NFL Nation, when we talked to him earlier in the show, made a lot of sense that George Payton got to Denver a year ago and started building. And now anything less than the playoffs for this team, considering what's around Russell Wilson, is going to be considered a failure so I mean he's in a situation now where the you know the market aside it puts him in a role where he can succeed beyond you know everybody else talking about the quarterback market and what his deal does to affect the future earnings of other people because I don't think honestly he's all that concerned about it because again he could have gone in there and said look at my resume I've played the last 10 years with Seattle I got them to a Super Bowl all of those things and probably top where, you know, he is at right now. I, I think we have to remember, too, that different life points mean different priorities, right? So Russell Wilson at 33 may be in a different spot. Russell Wilson with Sierra as his wife. Not that I'm presuming anything about their net worth, but he might be in a totally different spot about what matters to him and why it matters to him, and that's okay, right? Like, it, it's okay for him to live in a different world. But you mentioned the escrow rule. Escrow rule. 
for anyone that doesn't know the escrow rule, any guaranteed money in an NFL contract has to be put in an escrow account by the ownership group. This is an old rule that happened. Uh, it's been in place forever, basically, where back in the day it was put in place so that owners wouldn't write contracts with checks they couldn't eventually cash. Now it's there, and it becomes a reason why some ownership groups will turn around and say, well, we can't pay you this much money because we'd have to put it forward. If you're Dean Spanos, the owner of the Chargers, you're worth, according to the Google machine, about a billion dollars. Can you just put 350 or 400 million of that in an escrow account to make sure that Justin Herbert's contract is completely funded because that's the only option you have for the guaranteed money. Owners use that as a reason why they say they can't offer these fully guaranteed contracts, Courtney, but mm -hmm. realistically, there's not a bank in the world that wouldn't underwrite Dean Spanos doing whatever he needs to do. Yeah, and that rule is so outdated. And when you see contracts like the one that got done today for, for Russell Wilson, you think, oh, well, maybe they just can't afford to, to hit 230. No. Obviously, what Cleveland did, they did for whatever reason um, in rewarding Deshaun Watson while he had 30 you know, women accusing him of sexual misconduct, all of that hanging over him. They could hit 230. All of these other owners that are billionaires can hit can hit that amount, but they use the escrow and the funding rules, what it's called, to hide behind that and be like, oh, well, I don't know. We got to make sure we're good for the money. It's just a silly thing. And, um, you know, it came into play here and it came up again today. Well, at the end of the day, I want every player to go out and get theirs, and I want every player to have the ability to get market value, whatever that may be. And Lamar Jackson may know exactly what he's doing at this point, so I think a lot of us are making a ton of presumptions. We'll wait to hear from Lamar. Speaking of that, you can hear from Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson. They're both going to join Freddie and Fitzsimmons tonight. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for hanging out with Courtney Cronin and Jason Fitz on Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.